episode eight of the passive hang welcome back guys thanks for joining me today i'm sitting down with keith byrne now keith is a break dancer teacher who resides in melbourne and i found keith early on when i was following a page called a physical practice and this page it was really well put together had a lot of like crazy cool tricks that i wanted to learn but kind of broke them down in these simple to follow steps And then also had all these tips uh, that I hadn't seen before, especially around the handstand, which intuitively made a lot of sense. And then when I tried them, also felt felt right. So I knew there was something going on there. And then when I went onto his page, I was like, wow, who is this guy? He was doing all sorts of crazy things, you know, one-arm handstands. I think I saw this video where he did this airborne QDR version as well, where he span in the in a circle around on his hands, which I'd, I'd never seen before and kind of blew me away. So it was kind of one of those guys where I was like, okay, this is a crazy Instagram guy. Um, like kind of put him in this, in this bucket of unapproachable. And then what really surprised me was I found out that he actually lives in Melbourne. And when I found that out, I was like, oh, maybe I can just actually meet this guy. So I sent him a message and he sent me a message right back. Um, and then we hooked up for a conversation and it turned out to be really nice. You know, he just turned out to be a really great guy. Uh, and in this conversation, he goes through his his backstory about his involvement with breakdancing all the way through then to getting more into strength and conditioning stuff and uh, training with Ido Portal as well. Um but what I really get out of this chat is Keith's, uh, Keith's emphasis on expressing your own individuality and developing your own, um, your own sort of way and not get caught up into cultural dogmas and beliefs that may be circling around um, f- via the internet or from some sort of person and to approach that with a sense of curiosity and almost challenge it with your own experience as well to find your own way. So I really enjoyed that. He he brought up quite a few points and I think later on in the chat you'll hear his view on structural balance, which I thought was really, really unique in an age where there's a lot of content going out there saying that we have to protect everything. So I hope you guys enjoy this one. It's another episode of The Passive Hang. My name's Fayon and this is episode eight. Here we go. Yeah. Awesome. Well, yeah, I guess this is this is my little podcast. I just um started it up. What was it? Like a month, month or so ago. Um yeah, it was just been a little idea I've I've toyed around in my head because yeah, something I've just really enjoyed from getting I guess uh taking this not a bit more seriously but like okay, maybe I can learn a bit more is you know, all the people that I've met through it and I think everyone's got like such an interesting story and then I've I've been able to meet like you know these internet people in real in real life as well and that sort of I think that's given me a lot of joy so with the podcast I guess I'm just trying to replicate that feeling as well for maybe other people who are out there you know in the in the movement world or or whatever they they practice as well and wondering what it's all about and then just shedding some trying to humanize it a little bit you know sometimes when you follow people for a while it's almost like they become like a bit idolized or, or fake as well. So yeah, I'm just trying to provide more of that human story behind, um, behind all the characters. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think the seminars and workshops are great, but they're very one way. Mm. Um, and we don't often really hash out ideas and beliefs until we talk about them either with ourselves or with someone else. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I've, I've always found that chatting to people about this stuff is, is really enlightening and I get something that I don't get anywhere else from it. Yeah, I think in the end, you know, it's probably that lateral connection with the relationships you have with um, people that that you end up looking fondly about, right? And it's like, yeah, you got the practice as well, but, you know, what? Um, it's the best thing when you meet up with, like, your mates and then you do this thing together and you figure it out together, at least, at least for me. Yeah, no, for sure, for sure. I mean... I'm sure we'll talk about it more, but with, with breakdancing and b-boying, like that's the only way to do it. <laughs> we are <were> figuring <laughs> stuff out ourselves. Um, yeah. So if we didn't have that, we just would have never gotten anywhere. Yeah. I, I love that about the b-boy 
culture because it's it's very within the group right um and something you know i get stuck in a little bit just with my training is sometimes like it can be lonely as well you know you're kind of just doing your individual drills or whatever you've decided that is like suddenly become super important um and then you go oh shit i haven't really like practiced with anyone for, for ages yeah yeah it can be hard um especially the movement thing because you don't really fit in a particular niche yeah um you know people all like to think that they can go play with anyone but a lot of the movement training itself is quite lonely <laughs> yeah i guess you know people identify with groups and cultures right so especially because this is like i don't know so so ill-defined right <laughs> that in the end it can be alienating because you're just like well i'm trying to understand it myself but then i'm not part of that but i'm kind of part of this and then it's like part of part of nothing yeah i actually i actually have a lot of beef with uh the idea of doing movement or be, even being a mover mm. uh because it is so vague and yeah i find that it kind of leads you down a weird path Mm. where it's almost better to identify with a group for a little bit and be like, I'm going to be a dancer for a bit, or I'm going to be mm. uh, a circus performer for a bit or a fighter for a bit and then um, jump to the next thing. Yeah. I guess uh, it's just becoming real about it as well, because yeah, you almost have to like step into that identity to get the understanding and the learning and the connections. And if you don't do that, you're kind of always an outsider maybe. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, again, relating it back to dance, like um, so much of my education in breaking came from the history. Mm. Like the the movements are all history based, and if you see the evolution of the movement, you basically get progressions out of it. Ah, um, yep. And I I feel like if you come into any discipline without trying to absorb that cultural side, you mm. lose a lot. Not just in the richness of of the practice itself, but also um, in the physicality too, if that makes sense. It's kind of like, yeah. uh, it's like the combined human intelligence we keep on developing over the years, you know, from, uh, from our fathers and the fathers beforehand, you know, in, in dance and it's good to work in their footsteps to then get to this point of direct learning yourself where you're like, oh, okay, yeah, like that's why they did that. And then now you can expand on it. Yeah, for sure. And I, I mean, dance is my thing. So it's definitely the thing that I can speak about more strongly, but the movements always serve the purpose. Mm. And sometimes when you take the movements away from that, they become, I don't know, it loses something. Yeah. And when, um, when you understand that purpose, you get something more out of it. Yeah. That makes sense. It's, I guess it's the same as if you do fighting drills, but you never fight. Like, what's the point? <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah it's funny and we can get we can dive into that <laughs> into that sort of stuff a bit later as well but um yeah i guess maybe um to really kick it off i I normally just like to allow you to give a brief intro into like yeah who you are what you're all about and then we can just take it take it from there how does that sound yeah for sure i mean yeah we've got a got ahead of ourselves i guess <laughs> <laughs> um so i Mum put me in gymnastics when I was a kid because I used to sit and watch TV in the splits, basically. <laughs> so I did uh, gymnastics and karate from, I think, about the age of six. Yep. <laughs> um, and I was terrible at uh, the discipline side of things in both. You, do um, you think like that physical side came naturally to you? Yeah, I definitely was a quick learner. But doing like strength and conditioning, I hated it. And sitting mm. still in uh, karate, I hated it. Mm. Um, so karate didn't last long because it's such a, <laughs> a disciplined uh, hierarchical system. But um, mm. gymnastics continued for a lot longer. And then when I was, oh, I must have been 12 or 13, in 2000, uh, they started breakdancing classes at mm. the place I was doing gymnastics. Ah, and I was like, this is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I get to do whatever I want. Floor was my favorite thing in, in gymnastics anyway. I didn't have to wear a leotard, which was a bonus. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, was B-Boy, the way it's taught, is that 
a lot more free form and loose compared to like I've taken part in gymnastics classes as well. And it's like, you know, it's regimented, it's drilled, you know, you're just, you're just slogging away. Um, is that how it was? Yeah. So gymnastics was definitely very structured and then breakdancing is inherently not structured. There's no syllabus that you have to follow. I mean, there's a range of foundational elements that you should learn. You should learn. Mm. Um, but even that's not kind of strict. And then on top of that, it's uh, teach, teaching breakdancing is still very young. So a lot of teachers suck. <laughs> and like my teachers, I, like I love them. I owe them uh, everything because they were the ones that sparked me off. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really important for, um, for coaches to be able to spark students. And they definitely did that for me. But they had bought, I think, a VHS, like a videotape of a breakdancing instructional. And I'm pretty sure they were watching it and then teaching me like that week. And then they'd go watch more and then they'd teach me. So they were ex-gymnasts. They had some physicality. But as far as like teaching structure, it was super loose and all over the place. It's like as long as you're just one lesson ahead, then it's okay. You can be a teacher. Yeah, exactly. That's right. Yeah. And I mean, I get it. I ended up doing that as well when I started teaching. Hmm. Um, basically, those teachers left and they, they offered the class to me. And I was like, I'm not ready to teach. So how like, old, well, we're going to close down. How old were you when, um, when that was? Uh, 16, 17. Okay. So yeah, you, I'd been yeah. breakdancing for three years or something. But it was pretty young. Yeah, super young. Very not qualified. <laughs> <laughs> um, but they were going to close down the class. So either, uh, mm-hmm if I didn't teach. So I said, yeah, all right, let's do this. And um, I basically did the same thing my teachers did, except I would go to a class in St. Kilda on a Thursday and then I'd teach it on the Saturday. <laughs> um, I don't know. It, it's, it, it was what it was mm. and it was fun for sure. Yeah. So where, where it was it? It lacked a little bit of integrity. Now, where was this at this time? Uh, this was with uh, McLeod YMCA. Mm-hmm. Is that still around? Yeah. So, um, the the place is still around yeah it's like a leisure center with gymnastics and dance and all this stuff mm-hmm. um but the classes have been running for quite a few years mm-hmm. yeah so I'm, a lot of people know Sly Monster. yeah i'm sure you know yep. so, yeah <laughs> we started breakdancing together so ah, we were really? running those classes together yeah, yeah back in the day <laughs> <laughs> yeah that that's like that would have been really great fun mem- memories yeah it was a great time it was mm-hmm. super cool. He was always ahead of me, still is. It was a bit frustrating, but uh, so he's he, a great person to train with. He also started in um, this b-boy culture, the uh, similar, uh, like you, before now branching out into yeah, more calisthenic stuff. Yeah. yeah, he was basically exactly the same. He did gymnastics at the same place as I did, and then mm-hmm. he ended up doing breakdancing as well. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's interesting. Yeah, that's, <laughs> I would, would have never have known that. Yeah. So um, there's not much. Sorry, go. I was just about. Um, yeah. So what what happened during those early formative years? Was this? Um, did you start like going into breakdancing um, competitions and stuff like that as well? Like, did you start viewing it a bit more seriously? Yeah, I I guess I never really thought about where I was going to take it or anything like that. Mm. I was just obsessed. So I was training six, seven days a week. Um, Mum was the best and she would drive me anywhere I wanted to go. Um, I would catch the train when she couldn't drive me. I was doing homework at lunchtime so that I had more time to train after school. Like I was just obsessed. So um, we entered whatever comps came along. There wasn't really much opportunity for performing at that stage. Uh, yeah, I was just obsessed, <laughs> which was great. Like talking so, about gymnastics, how I was not really that hmm. motivated to be disciplined and train the hard stuff. It was hmm. the complete opposite with breakdancing. I was just go, go, go. And how was the scene during that time in um, in Australia? Was it was it popular or just still very like underground? How was it? Uh, Australia's scene and especially Melbourne scene like really ebb, ebbs and flows. Mm. Uh, when I started, it was probably like on its way up. So it was like a really good time to get in. 
comp- competitions had massive audiences that were not just breakdancing culture, mm-hmm. pop culture. Um, and then probably when I started teaching, it started to go down a little bit. And then it came up again closer to like 2010 when we were running more events ourselves and mm. performing a lot more and things like that. What do you think normally cause, uh, causes these ebbs and flows? It could be anything like BC1, Red Bull BC1 came out. Mm. It gets popular again. Um, I think like back when I was just getting started, there were a few video clips that featured breakdancing. And that was kind of enough to get people interested in mm. it. So then it got featured at the extreme games. Um, yeah, it, it's all over the place. And then same with like the trends within breaking, especially in Melbourne uh, in, in Australia, we seem to follow the trends of breaking a lot. Mm. I guess we're quite impressionable cause we're so far away. Um, so that changes a, a lot too, which can have a big effect on, on the way competitions are run and things like that. So how did you go about sort of learning this art, you know, in the early days, um, I'm guessing, you know, YouTube's not around, um, there's not that much resource. You've got like maybe some shitty videotape to, to follow. Um, yeah, a lot of, a lot of shitty videotapes. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of like really shitty videotapes that lasted like four playthroughs and then start to break. Yeah. But they cost like $70 plus <laughs> shipping from the States. Um, just attending any workshop I could, as many classes as I could. Mm. Uh, there were like some really potato-y videos that you could download that took like two hours for 30 seconds, uh, heaps of that. And then just a lot of figuring out myself. Mm. I've always been quite like a problem solver and physical problem solving is just another avenue for that. Mm. Um, I guess the benefit of teaching so early too was that I could kind of guinea pig a lot of my students and I'd have a theory and I'd be like, try this and it wouldn't work. And I'd be like, okay, try this instead <laughs> and we kind of figured it out together. Yep. Um, and that definitely like set me on a really good path having so many people to trial it out on. Mm. I like that. You can have all the ideas in the world, but if they, yeah. they don't work, <laughs> the shit ideas. But I really like that dynamic, like that you mentioned that you kind of like try this and then they tried it and then maybe it didn't work. And then you try it and then you figure it out together because, you know, you look at maybe like, the wider fitness culture sometimes it's like you know you give all your power over to this this trainer who's like the all-seeing all-knowing god who's like you need to do it in this way with this like perfect form that sort of thing and if it kind of mucks up then it's like a no-no or or not good i would say but what you're describing here seems to be like a, a lot more organic more just more relaxed um way way of teaching where maybe the learner themselves can just, just learn. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, it always seems crazy to me to have one way to do things. Hmm. If you watch breakers that you can see five breakers do the same move and they will do them not like differently because of their bodies. They're using different techniques hmm. and they're all fine. I mean, you might have a preference at the end of the day, which one you like, but they're all doable. So I think that like when I teach someone, there's, what technique are they going to get? Which style are they going to get of it? What does their body need? And then what do they, what do they learn? How do they learn? Like yeah. I end up trying to tell the same cue to someone five different ways till they get it. Mm-hmm. Or if I'm teaching someone that does a martial art, I know like enough about martial arts so that I can talk to them in their language and they'll pick mm-hmm. it up quicker. Mm-hmm. Or same if I've taught a skater, I can use like a little bit of skating terminology or kind of try and, reference it to a move that they might know and they're going to learn it quicker but i don't know that until i kind of try some different things on them mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that makes sense yeah it's like the the art of com- communicating this concept that you might under- understand in in their language right so that they can understand and then figure it out yeah for sure like my job is to not know how to do things it's to be able to teach someone to do things and they're very different but i think people kind of get them mixed up that that's actually a really good delineation yeah like um like just knowing knowing the thing but then it's that separate to actually just teaching someone a, a thing so do you do you find yourself sometimes like taking and coaching somebody on a lot of stuff that you've never done 
yourself? Uh, sometimes I, I think that it's tricky because most movement is quite analyzable. Hmm. So it's not too hard to break things down, but then at the same time, there can be that one thing that if you don't know it, you'll never get it. <laughs> so, so I always approach, I always approach it with a very, like, I don't know, but maybe this. Yep. And I'm not, I'm not arrogant enough to think that I can teach someone something that I have no idea about. <laughs> yeah. I like that. It's like, um, there's, there's an honesty piece there. So, so have you been, um, coaching for all this time? Like, yeah, I just wonder, so you started getting into coaching, you know, 16, 17, then what's sort of happened there? I'm guessing like you finished school and then there was a bit of a decision point. Like what, what, what were those years like? Um, yeah. So I've basically been teaching since then mm-hmm. with like some small gaps in between. Um, I finished school. I got a really good score after finishing school. So I went to, uh, do a double degree in science commerce. Uh, and I got a real job working at a, a retail store. Mm-hmm. And both of those things didn't last very long. <laughs> <laughs> I was also still, I was also still teaching at the time. Yep. So I was juggling a lot of the things. And um, yeah, I just, I'd only went to the uni because I got the score and I didn't had mm-hmm. no interest in it. So I dropped out, tried a different uni course, which was psychology. And then I realized that everyone who does psychology is just trying to fix themselves <laughs> rather than just going seeing someone. <laughs> so I dropped out yeah. <laughs> and, um, and yeah, I guess I kind of just, I was really lucky that I've always had teaching jobs kind of thrown at me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've never needed to do anything else. I've always been able to make a living teaching and performing. Um, was there like a, a point where you're like, Oh, actually I'm really going to commit to this, this teaching thing. Like sounded like you, you tried and attempted to do some things, which, you know, might've been for, for whatever reasons. And then at, at some point did you then shift and you're like, Oh, you know what? I'm just going to do this. Uh, yeah, I guess after I kind of, uh, it's hard to say. So breakdancing doesn't have the longest career lifespan. Mm. Uh, as a performer and even as a teacher, I don't know. I don't want to be that old guy who can't do anything. Just kind of trying to verbally explain things to my students. And why is that? Is there any sort of way where you can mitigate that to, to keep that lifespan for a long time? Um, I mean, you can definitely breakdowns are probably not the healthiest bunch. So Hmm. being healthier and looking after your body and all of that kind of stuff, I'm sure will increase the lifespan, but it's just, the fun stuff, the really, really fun part of breaking. Like I enjoy dancing heaps, but the, the bit that really draws me about breakdancing is, is the hectic hopping on your hands, spinning on your head. And I just think that that takes a toll. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's always funny, right? Because you always um, hear about this stuff like, oh, you know, the human body is so adaptable. You know, it, it's all in the dosage over time. Like you can keep on ad- uh, adapting and then it should be able to just keep on strengthening itself. But um, do you find just after a time, there's probably just negative returns and like you still do it right for the, for the art, but probably, you know, that you're damaging your body. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, we didn't evolve spinning on our heads. Hmm. <laughs> like the cervical spine didn't, isn't made to be the other way, loaded the other way around. <laughs> Plus that you put rotational force in and then you add like the variability of, of trying to throw it on a, on a club floor at 3am who knows what drinks are on the ground. Like it's just, yeah, it's, that, um, that's a good way of putting it. <laughs> yeah. I, I think, I think when you do anything, I mean, not to say that I do breakdancing at an elite level, but when you really strive to do something high performance, no matter mm-hmm. what it is, you're sacrificing your longevity. Yep. yep. Um, and that's, for me, that's fine. <laughs> I would rather, like, uh, what's the saying? I'd rather wear out than, I don't know, I've completely forgotten the saying. But I want to, yeah. yeah. yeah no, I, I, I want to wear myself out. <laughs> Not get to the end of my life and be fine, but haven't done anything. Yeah, yeah. I, I, get, I get what you mean. And it's a, it's a funny one like that. It's like, you know. Um, um, with um, 
performing is that something so like with the teaching you're also like performing this this whole time yeah on and off um from about 2005 i'd done a few little shows before that with um Mm. like the the crew i started with but then uh in 2005 i joined a crew called wicked force who um Mm -hmm. australian national champions they've been around since the 80s kind of in like inducting new members Mm-hmm. Um, and then since joining them, shows have been pretty regular part of, of my life uh, from like four in a weekend to one every couple of months, but they've never really stopped. Okay. That's awesome. Yeah. And you're still performing now, obviously. Yeah. I tore my ACL. Um, well, I tore it three years ago, but I only had the surgery about 18 months ago mm. and had a few complications with that recovery. So I performed once or twice. But um, yeah, haven't been full on back into performing yet. And if you don't mind me asking, what what happened there? Was it like a, a training injury or a fall? Uh, this one was in a, in a show actually. Oh, um, it was during a performance. Uh, I was doing a a backflip and I was going to land in a a jazz split, like a half split. Mm-hmm. And um, strobe lights went off. I got disoriented, and then uh, I came down and twisted my my left knee. Uh, what happens yeah, during it happens. Mid, mid performance? Do you just do you just limp, limp off and then, or how does it well, keep r- running? Kept doing the show. I <laughs> oh, so you kept on performing. Adrenaline, that adrenaline's well. yeah, adrenaline's pretty crazy. Uh, it was just two of us. Yeah. So I think I think if it was a bigger show, I may have like failed. But it was just mm-hmm. two of us, and um, adrenaline was running. Didn't really think about it too much. It was just like oh. That was weird. Yep. Kept doing the show. Then my knee started giving out in some of the routines. So I kind of just faked them. And then, uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I didn't know I'd actually tore my ACL for mm. months later. I just rehabbed it myself. Um, mm-hmm. and it came really good. It would mm-hmm. get a little bit wobbly if I tried to land on it after flipping on that one leg. Yeah. So I didn't think anything of it. Um, and then later, later I got a scan and they're like, Oh yeah, you completely busted your ACL. Sometimes, yeah. <laughs> Sounds really un- super. I've got pretty chunky band. knees. Yeah. Yeah, I've got pretty chunky knees, so they're, they're okay with it. Like, um, yeah. Rachel, my partner, tore her ACL, and she's mm-hmm. got quite long, thin limbs, and she couldn't survive without the surgery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess it's just different yeah, for, so. for, for everybody, right? Right. Yeah, so I guess um, moving like, to some of the movement sort of side, like what's sort of been your involvement or or knowledge with there? Have you sort of dabbled in it a little bit or um, gone to a few like workshop seminars? Yeah. Um, What's your, what have you done? Yeah. So like I said earlier, breakdancing doesn't have much in the way of educational resources. Mm. Um, You just learn from whoever you can learn from and hopefully get some knowledge there. So I started looking outside of breaking First, I looked at strength and conditioning. So I did a lot of, like a lot of Poliquin courses, Charles mm-hmm. Poliquin, um, who's passed away now. Uh, and then I think through him, I found Edo Portal's stuff. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then I attended some movement camps. I did online coaching with him. I attended a lot of other workshops. And how did, how did this shift your sort of perspective from where you were before in, in b-boying to, I guess, once you start finding, oh, like there's a whole um, heap of stuff on like strength and conditioning, right, from the source, like um, Poliquin, was this sort of like all these light bulbs going off in your head as to going, like what were you seeking like answers for something? Is that why you were, uh, you were looking out outside of uh, b-boying or, yeah, what sort of drove you? Um. I don't know, actually. I think that I always thought, like, when you look at any elite athlete, they don't just do their sport. Mm. Like, even in, in gymnastics, such a large part of gymnastics is strength and conditioning. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was just looking for those other things to kind of round out my practice so that I could be a better, better dancer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's... Um, yeah, it's good. Like you, you had that underlying intention still for 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 that art, right? Um, how how were you with? I guess after all those years, from when you were younger to that point there, with 
like strength and conditioning is very process driven, like do the same thing over and over again. Had that sort of shifted for you at that point? Uh, yeah, yeah, it definitely had. So, um, I love straight lines and neat things and organizing stuff. And even, even like my art as a kid was origami, which was all about like getting the straightest line and folding <laughs> the paper evenly. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know why I was never able to apply it to my own physicality and as a child, mm. but definitely later I was able to merge those two things pretty solidly. And like, I love, I really have to be careful not to just get stuck doing sets and reps of stuff and, and checking boxes because it makes me feel really good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There is something about that, isn't it? It's like you do the work and you're like, I've done the work now. It's going to head me into this direction as well. And it's quite clear as well, sometimes with those strength goals as well. And you're like, yeah, I've got that now. And I mean, certainly for me as well, that forms like a lot of my practice as well, because probably, it just feels physically good, but emotionally as well, it feels so good as well when you reach these new levels. Yeah, it's very, um, it's very simple. And I don't mean that in an insulting way, but just in a, in a certainty, it gives you a lot of certainty because you're like, mm-hmm. I will just follow these steps and it'll get me where I want to go. Um, and I think that that feeling is definitely very attractive to me because I can get very overwhelmed thinking Mm -hmm. about combinations and possibilities and variability and things like that. Mm -hmm. So how did you find it once you started entering into the whole Edo world and, um, and what was there, what did your practice start looking like there? What, what were you starting to research? Um, I guess that the, the mover thing always kind of, it's pretty (laughs) culty. And, and uh, I, I definitely got like quite involved, but I always tried to kind of maintain that I was a B-boy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would just do silly little things. Like I'd refuse to like point my toes when we were meant to point our toes and stuff like that. <laughs> Cause I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to keep my, my style. And I, I would always do the locomotion like a B-boy. Um, <laughs> I have authority issues too, which probably didn't help. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I, I definitely like I really I really like Ido stuff, especially back then in like 2013 when it was mm-hmm. very tangible. Mm-hmm. Um, it was great how he'd systematized a lot of things, um, and a lot of his hearing him talk about a lot of his ideas kind of validated the ideas that I developed myself when teaching breakdancing mm-hmm. in terms of how to how to communicate to students and stuff like that. Um, so I guess that was the biggest impact was it kind of just, it confirmed that what I was doing was kind of the right track mm-hmm. and then kind of broadened my mind to where I could take those, those ideas. And all this time as well was, were you then putting this back into the, into your teaching with your students as well, or all that you were learning? Yep, absolutely. They were, yeah, all my students have been big guinea pigs. <laughs> which is great for, for, for me. And I think for them too, because um, yeah, I teach very differently to a lot of other breakdancing teachers. Mm. So I guess it, it gave them a different experience. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I guess during this time I see as well, like you, you've got a wicked one arm hands handstand. Was that when that started <laughs> de- <laughs> developing? No, not at all. That was before Ido. Um, yeah, that was learnt with no system whatsoever. <laughs> really? <laughs> Just stand on two arms, try to stand on one arm. Stand on two arms, try to stand on one arm. Wow. Yeah, because I guess that that's one of the goals, which I've just heard from so many people as well, uh, as taking like so much time and, and, and just discipline and dedication as well. So, uh, yeah, how did you how did you go about that? Was, was that sort of just like you, you saw it one day and you're like, you know what, I can do that? Like, is that... Is that how you ended up turning your attention to it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, I've always been drawn to the freezes in breaking, mm-hmm. standing on my elbow, standing on my head. Um, and it's just one of them. It's, it's really kind of not a big deal in breakdancing. I think mm-hmm. people make too much of a big deal about it. Don't get me wrong. I've had like had years of experience before I even started doing it through gymnastics and breakdancing. So I may be speaking from the wrong place, but one on handstand is not a big deal move. 
I think people put it on a pedestal and they make it harder mm -hmm. than it needs to be. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I think the way they go about learning it doesn't help them either. Okay, yeah. That's, that's really refreshing to hear. Yeah, I love that. Um, so with, with, I guess, you know, I, I'm, I'm someone who's like outside of the whole b-boy culture and all that, um, but it is something like, you know, every, every so often as well, you see like the way some of these guys move and then also the sense of rhythmicality, that sort of thing. Say if like I had this gymnastics background and I was starting to get into like b-boying or I wanted to do it, I'd like, do you have many students like that? And like, what do you normally see that they're kind of struggling to understand when they enter into like this sport of b-boying? Um, everyone naturally has their strengths and weaknesses. I think that one of the really good things about breaking is if you want to, you can just lean into that strength and completely ignore your weakness. Um, it's not, it's not like something where you have to do all aspects. Okay. Um, and it just depends. It depends how you want to approach it. Like I love doing everything in both directions. It just makes me feel good to know that I can go this way or I can do it that way. Um, but that's not common. Most people just go one way uh, and it's really just up to you. So I think that especially in the beginning, leaning into your strengths and then kind of you can bring up your weaknesses later, which for a lot of people actually means not doing so much stand-up dancing, especially if they've done something physical beforehand. That can be like very intimidating and you feel really bad at it in the beginning yeah. mm. um and i don't know being bad at dancing is is one of those things that's quite visceral it really gets to you so being able to enjoy doing a handstand or, or some of the other kind of tricks is a really good way to get that motivation going and then once that's going you can do some of the things that are a bit uh, harder for you mm -hmm. if that makes sense yeah no I, I, like i i've done a few like uh dance classes myself and sometimes like you, you stare at the mirror and you're like i look just god awful terrible i don't i never want to do this again <laughs> it can it can almost be yeah too, it's too emotionally overwhelming because like it's such an aesthetic thing as as well mm. and so then if you look back on it or yeah normally those places like have, have a mirror as well there's nowhere to escape either you're like oh, kind of always looking at myself and i i think that can be quite conf confronting yeah for sure um probably one of the best things someone can do when they're just learning dance is to not look in the mirror or not have a mirror even mm -hmm. uh, and just kind of do your own thing for a while and then you can kind of take a look at it later and start analyzing it because um, it's, it's just too much to be analyzing and trying to do it at the same time because it is so vulnerable Hmm. So what, what would it sort of look like if someone was starting to ent enter, they wanted to understand more about dance, b-boying, like as to the process, like they, they come to, for a session with you, like in a group class, like, yeah, what do you guys actually, actually do? Um, I guess the format's pretty similar. I don't do a very traditional dance warm up. I think it's a bit of a waste of time, like the stretching and things like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, the beginning of the class, if it's a beginner, beginner class, it usually just ends up being hip hop grooves or like hip hop party dances. Mm -hmm. They're a bit more slower tempo. The movements are really big, so it's easier to pick up on them. Whereas breaking movements are quite small and fast. Mm -hmm. um, and then we just really focus on finding that rhythm of the music. It almost acts a bit like a metronome. And once you have that metronome, mm -hmm. it doesn't really matter what you do as long as that metronome keeps going. Mm -hmm. So it's a lot of finding that beat. If it's a slightly less beginner class, it'll be more breakdancing focus or b-boying focus. In the beginning, it'll be a bit more hip-hop tempos. Um, a big part of breaking is the footwork, the stuff down on the floor, which is uh, which is heavy on the knees. <laughs> it's it's a lot of like bouncing toe squats, mm -hmm. and then um, this weird like hunched over. Uh, planche lean crouching planche lean positions mm -hmm. that are really really taxing so in the beginning it's just a lot of sneaking in that conditioning for people like getting them used to the positions but also 
trying to get as much value from it as possible. So teaching them a movement and trying to help them find rhythm all at the same time without completely cooking their quads and calves so that they can keep doing the rest of the class. <laughs> Is this like quite, quite free? So as a group, do you all do it together or people split off and you start doing like um, everyone's working on their, their different things? Like how, how does that normally look like? It really depends. So in an ideal world, you would have everyone at the same level participating and we'd all work together and then maybe split into projects. Mm-hmm. But you don't get that luxury when you, you have a class. So mm. you just have to kind of make it work. Sometimes <laughs> you've got some advanced kids plus some people coming for their first class and, and you just kind of got to make it work. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's really all over the place. Ideally though, I try to expose my students to an idea that will kind of run over a couple of weeks and then we develop that idea and give them a chance to branch off and, and come up with their own things. Mm. And uh, so the, the start of that will look a lot more structured and then the, like a couple of weeks later, it'll be a lot more free. Mm. And that, that idea like, um, is that normally like a, a physical move or like what, what, what would that be? Anything. It, it, it can be a concept of, uh, so threads, for example, a thread is basically when you make a circle and then you go through that circle mm-hmm. and you can do it holding onto your foot or you can do it holding onto, like I showed, um, you can do it in a handstand. So we might spend four weeks just developing threading ideas mm-hmm. or, um, we might spend four weeks working on hopping in a handstand, hopping on your elbow, just hopping in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. It's kind of whatever I feel interested in at the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i like this is like part, partly self-interest but also for for the group as well that's it i mean yeah. i think it's it's important to be excited about what you teach mm-hmm. yeah like yeah i've had teachers that have not had a love for what they're teaching and it's just it's the worst classes so what keeps you um going after all these years you know in b-boying and breakdancing and you know i from what it sounds like you've had your share of adversity as well with injury, that sort of thing. Like what, what interests, um, keeps on interesting you, what do you want to keep on learning from the art? I mean, the great thing about breaking is there's just so much. Mm-hmm. So there's the power moves, there's freezers, there's stand up dance, there's on the floor dance. Um, so you can kind of always put yourself in a direction like when my knee's bad, I spend more time on my hands. When my wrist is bad, I spend more time standing up. Um, uh, so yeah, it being such a wide thing is, is really helpful. Um, and then recently, especially with all this lockdown, I've been doing a lot of other styles of dance. Mm-hmm. All, all hip hoppy, like house dance and hip hop grooves and popping. There's just an endless amount of things to learn. Yeah, I love, I love that. It sounds like it's, one of those rabbit holes, I guess, like almost like with any skill, you know, even as basic as the handstand, you know, you can keep on taking that forever, right. To however many, many levels. And I think that's what I found after you start getting into a thing, you're like, Oh, actually, you know, all this stuff is, is pretty hard and it can keep on going literally forever. There's always like another level, right? There's always another level and you can geek out on anything and, and other people have already geeked out on it as well. So you can always find those resources to take you further if you want to. Mm. And how? Have and you if felt- you don't want to, there's enough other things to learn that you can just put your attention somewhere else too. <laughs> and how have you felt like your physical body holding up after all these years? Um, do you think that there was a, there was a peak there or the pr- preparation within your body is kept on building over the years? I was a really unhealthy kid. <laughs> like I, I didn't eat so mm. great and um, my sleeping habits were pretty trash. And then when I moved out, both of those things got worse. <laughs> so um, in my teens and twenties, I wasn't very healthy, mm. um, which is probably one of the reasons I got so injured. Mm. But recently I've, well, not recently, but for a while now I've been on a really good track with my health and my eating and, and those kinds of things. So my body feels really good. Probably feels the best it ever has, except mm. for the fact that I'm carrying around those injuries that I already did. Um, 
yeah, so it's a bit it's a bit of a juggling process because I feel great, but I've got some old war wounds that kind of stop my progress every now and then. Do you think that sometimes um, that's part of it too? Like back in those early days, there's a there's a bit of like you know you just you're just the dancer, you're just the, the artist, and you just keep on doing that. But um, you know, on the other side, as you mentioned, like at one point you have to cross over and start being the athlete looking at strength and conditioning, you know, this more holistic, um, view, view of health. Do you find with, uh, in B-boy culture, maybe there's a bit of resistance to like stepping out from that to, to look at, okay, like maybe I have to really take care of my body, start like, you know, sleeping right, not drinking, doing all this sort of stuff. Yeah. When I was breaking, uh, earlier when I first started breaking in those first kind of five, 10 years, uh, B-boys were shocking. If they had, they never had any money to begin with. So it was just eating a lot of ramen. Um, and then when they did have money, it was on, they'd spend it on like weed and sneakers. Mm. Um, I think since, since Red Bull monster, all of those bigger companies have put money into breaking and you can make, you can almost become like a bit of a, a celebrity because of it, that the general public will know who you are. Uh, I think people are getting more serious, mm. especially because it seems like those companies are putting a bit more time and effort into trying to educate their sponsored athletes on that side of things. Yep. Um, it's still pretty misguided. Like you'll see B-boys going for runs for conditioning, which just doesn't make sense to me because that's the one thing they don't need is, is more cardio. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's like, like it. one of those things, right? When you don't really know, you'll just do anything which you think may work. Yeah, absolutely. Similarly, everyone kind of touts vegetarian and then veganism as the healthiest thing. So mm -hmm. a b-boy trying to get healthy will go for a run and go vegan. Um, which is fine. You know, you can do whatever you like, but it's yep. just, yeah, I think there's, a bit more learning for the community to do before mm -hmm. it starts really having a good uh, impact on, on their dancing. So what, what would you say normally if you were like coaching a B-boy and like looking really promising, like um, are there any types of like exercises, conditioning, that sort of thing to offset like the, the practice that for, for longevity to keep on building the body? What, what, what does like that sport normally lack? Um, it really depends on the dancer. So I've, I've seen some dancers that are just fine. All they do is break dancing, but they have massive lats, big backs. Like they don't do any pulling work. Their shoulders are fine. Their wrists are fine. Um, they're super flexible. They have no problems. And then I see other people who just have like super unstable shoulders, no matter how much extra work they do outside of dancing. So it really just depends. Um, I think the biggest thing for breaking actually is learning how to chill out after training. Mm. Um, training is often late at night and it's hype. The music is hype. The, the energy is always hype. And mm -hmm. then being able to chill that out and actually get some real recovery in mm -hmm. and then probably just drinking some more water <laughs> is, is going to do more for most breakers than fancy anything and do you normally recommend some sort of protocol to help like you know down regulate and um and help that recovery cycle yeah it's all the it's all the boring stuff that everyone recommends like listen to calm music probably do some kind of breath work whatever it is mm -hmm. uh, whatever works for them um yeah just chill out try not to go on your phone and watch more breaking or anything like that it's quite refreshing to hear what you're saying um, just then as well about how some people are just, you know, breaking all the time, not doing any pulling exercises, that sort of thing. And they're completely fine because, you know, nowadays with the, all the messages, how they're all being developed, it's like, you know, specialize. And if you specialize too much, that's going to kill you. Or like, if you just do this and you don't offset that, then you're going to end up with all these injuries. That's, that's actually, that's like kind of like my perception of it. It's like, you know, a rock climber needs to 
be doing all these pushing exercises because they're always pulling all the time. Um, so yeah, what do you think about that? Cause from what, what you just told me as well, that, that sounds really like, it, it sounds good to hear that, like, you know, you don't have to cover all bases if you know what I mean. Not at all. Yeah. I think there is a bit of a kind of a belief in the movement community that you have to be a generalist and you have to spread that general net really, really wide. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, I think structural balance is a complete myth. Uh, there, there is science to suggest that it's, it's not, it's not legit. I think Pollock, um, Pollockin was a big fan of that, that concept though, wasn't he? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm 99% sure he's the one who popularized it and Ido got all of his stuff off Charles, mm-hmm. um, who then popularized it even more for the movers. Uh, yeah, I think it's a crock of shit. <laughs> <laughs> um, don't get me wrong, things can go wrong. Mm-hmm. But if you're doing stuff well, then structural balance isn't an issue. And you can just look at Olympic lifters. Like Olympic lifters, at least like the ones who follow that minimalist kind of Bulgarian vibe where they're just doing snatch, clean, squat, they're fine. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's the most unbalanced program ever. Um, Yeah, I don't think structural balance is is, as big a deal as everyone makes it out to be. And I don't think you have to be good at something you don't want to be good at. I love like that. If I don't care about pushing, I don't want to, why would I go do pushing? Cause I have to, oh, it's, it's the worst. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you know, in the end you have to relate it back to your context and what you really want, which I think sometimes these days gets pretty hard sometimes, you know, like what do I want? You know, <laughs> but um, it's good to hear as well that like in your own experience from, from what you've seen as well, it's like, yeah, you're not going to implode if you just keep on doing this one thing that maybe you love to do. Like maybe there's a, it's in the intention and, and the way that you do it as well. Like, yeah, you, you can be fine with just committing to that one thing. Yeah. The, I don't, I think the tricky thing is you don't want to close any doors that you can't open again later. Mm. So for example, like if you're training one arm handstand, and you only really care about getting it on your right hand, that's fine. But then maybe you get it on your right hand and you get really sour that you can't do it on your left hand and you've, you've kind of almost missed that opportunity. Mm. So are you still there? Yeah. Yep. So then you, you close the door, right? And you've, you've made that mistake. So unless you're doing something like really drastic like that, I don't see the, the need to, to really push doing everything. Yeah, yeah, that reminds me of. Uh, I think there used to be like a uh, an Asterix comic c- comic. I don't know if you ever read those when you were younger. I know and, Asterix. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I think in, in one episode there was a guy who was like a javelin thrower, and he had this really jacked like right arm, and then the left arm was like nothing at all. <laughs> yeah, I mean, my arms are like that. <laughs> my my right arm is significantly bigger than my left arm, and I try to do both sides. I guess um, you you see this like even all the time in tennis, you know, like you see those guys, they're, they're playing arm, like their forearm is like twice the size of their, their other arm. Right. And, um, they, they move just fine. Right. I would reckon that their, their athletic capability, their, how they feel within their bodies is probably pretty good. Yeah. I think symmetry is overrated. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if it's like, a trying to check boxes, make everything neat kind of vibe, or if it's the, like the aesthetics kind of sneaking in of trying to be like beautiful and even, but um, yeah, I think symmetry is, is super overrated and any top performer in any sport is going to have asymmetries. Mm. And uh, again, you don't want to get to the point where it's limiting your movement capabilities where you're getting painful dysfunctions. But I think for the most part, it's really not a big deal. People, would be better spent focusing their energy on just doing fun things instead of trying to keep everything in balance and bulletproof and stuff like that. Yeah. I love that. It's yeah. Just being mindful of your time and your energy, right? Cause we all have that, that limited resource as well. So if you, if you can just do the thing that you love. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Cal Newport has that, that book about um, being so good. They can't ignore you. And mm. then he has deep work as well. 
Mm. Yeah, that's and on my list. His, yeah, it's great. Definitely super worth a read, both of them. Um, but his whole thing is things are rewarding once you get good at them. And I think that if you don't spend the time going deep into something, you'll never get to that point where you feel truly rewarded. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think movement is a thing that you can go deep in. I think it's the... the big net that you can sample things and then you find something that you like and you just deep dive really deeply into that. So how did that look on, um, when you started, so you started like training with them and you, you did that for some years and then at some point then you, you stepped back, back out and then now you, Oh yeah. I was like, what does your training look like now that these days, is it all entirely B-boy fo- focused or, uh, what, what was that journey like through those years to now? Um, it's, it's always been b-boy focused and everything else kind of was an add on. Mm-hmm. I really see movement as something that you should add on to your physical practice, not mm-hmm. something that should be your physical practice. Mm-hmm. Like even if you don't want to do a, a dance or an art or a sport, you should have a movement that you like doing if it's walking or playing with your kids or something like that. And your movement practice should support your life and mm-hmm. the things you do in your life. So for me, it was always breakdancing kind of came first. I do a lot of hand balancing because I really enjoy it and then follow it up with some strength or some mobility that I'm lacking or I need for a particular movement that I'm after. Mm-hmm. Um, and then because I'm pretty broken, I try and spend a lot of time kind of looking after my body, whether it's like smashing something or needling something or, or doing like some gua sha. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like the way you put it because I'm pretty broken. I <laughs> oh, did. I'm so broken. I, I think I was trying to figure it out the other day. I think out of nearly all of my major joints, like my right hip is the only like one that's still all right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, to t- touch with that, that will, uh, that, that will still stay all right. Um, yeah, it's keeping me together. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, maybe I just wanted to touch a little bit just on the physical practice stuff. Um, yeah, you mentioned like your partner. You started that up with with Rachel, but yeah, um, what maybe do you want to provide a little bit of the what was going on there? And is that sort of on on pause now, or um, what's going on? Yeah, so it was just uh, basically something we started doing for fun. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't really kind of like a money making endeavor or anything. I feel like some of my ideas and some of Rachel's ideas are really creative and things that we haven't really seen elsewhere. Um, I just kind of wanted to share them with people. Uh, yeah. So we were putting those out on Instagram. Um, I don't think Instagram's the best medium. It's really disposable. Mm. So that kind of rubs me the wrong way. Uh, I just need to pull my finger out and get a website up so I can start posting some more permanent feeling content, mm-hmm. um, which I guess is now because lockdown removed all my other excuses so once i get that up we'll probably start posting some stuff again mm-hmm. uh, but yeah it was just an opportunity to share some things that we think are a bit different to what you usually hear for uh our movement practice which was acrobatics and hand balancing break dancing and stuff like that um yeah yeah well you certainly like provided like a lot of fresh insight from even all the stuff we've just covered just then and um, that was kind of my take on it when I started finding the physical practice stuff. It was just, it was, it was to the point, but then like there was a, there's a level of understandability where I was like, Oh, I haven't seen it being presented just in that, in that way as, as well. And so that's, that's helped me a, a lot as well. So I'd be really excited to see if, yeah, if you guys were to turn your attention to like a, a proper website or, or whatever you end up doing and then just getting some more of that knowledge at outside of, um, of your brain and to the people. Yeah. Yeah. It'll definitely be back. Um, and probably sooner rather than later. Yeah. It's something I've, I've tried really hard to do. Um, and, and Rachel's really, really been there with me. Uh, I can be pretty annoying cause I want to get the, the post as concise and clear as possible. And I think that really bugs her sometimes, but mm-hmm. uh, she puts up with it. <laughs> I guess it's another challenge in teaching as well, right? Because um, as the majority of your teaching always been like face to face and in group work, that sort of thing. So on 
Instagram or whenever you like digitize it as, as well, that's like, it's a, a different art to communicating how that concept that you want to put out there. Right. For sure. And like I spoke before, the way I teach is very much like, mm, try this. Oh, that didn't work. Okay. How about this? Um, so putting it down in what feels like permanent text, and trying to forget what I know and read it from the point of view of someone who doesn't know what I know is, is really difficult. But um, mm. yeah, I feel like we've done a, a fairly good job with the stuff we've put up so far. Yeah. Well, I wanted to ask, yeah, like um, what, are, what are the future things that you'll be, you'll be working on, you know, to maybe personal practice-wise and uh, business-wise? Um, would this be, be one of them? Yeah, for sure. I just, I just want to get my ideas and Rachel's ideas out, like you said, out of my head and on, on something a bit more permanent and a bit more structured. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a pretty crazy place in there. So I'm kind of having a lot of trouble organizing it. Um, so I think when we get back to it, it'll just be kind of a few more random things while I try and organize the, the system a bit more. Uh, yeah, but that's the plan to get it all out of our heads. Oh, I'm really excited, and I hope yeah, hope you guys find find this time then to be to be quite fr fruitful. Yeah, yeah, for sure, it, it'll happen. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess um, yeah, if anyone listening, if they wanted to get into contact with you and you know find out a bit uh, a bit more, you know maybe uh, directly from yourself, they've they've got a question. What would be the the best place to reach out? Uh, just on Instagram, on at Keith Byrne or at Physical Practice, we we check them both, and mm -hmm. yeah, we're always happy to help people out. And it, it's good when people ask us questions because it it kind of just turns into a post idea, uh, saves me having to brainstorm myself. Awesome. Well, I'll include those um, those links in the show notes as well to make it easy for for people to to reach out. But um, yeah, thanks um, thanks for your time t tonight. Really really appreciate you just sharing. And that's it. That's a wrap. That's episode eight of The Passive Hang. Thanks, Keith, for having that chat with me once again. And thanks, you guys, for sticking around and listening. I really appreciate it. Once again, you can find me on Instagram, at Fayonp. If you ever want to get in touch, send me a message. And if you enjoy this podcast, please share it around, send it to a friend, like, subscribe, share, do all those things that you do on social media. Uh, but otherwise, I'll see you guys next time for episode nine. Thanks.